And at this time, Lynette will read our scripture passage this evening. It's from Daniel chapter 2. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Bateshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in your bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, among awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by a human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you your dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over all of them. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the world. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet, it will have some of the strength of the iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another person. It will, be, it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and is it an interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. 
The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king approached Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. Thank you, worship team. Thank you all for being here. I want to tell you some news. Y'all ready? Tonight, September 23rd, 2017, marks the beginning of the end of the world. I am sorry that you have to hear this for the first time from me, if you've not, but according to a man named David Mead, tonight begins the end of the world. David Mead is a gentleman who is a Christian who observed the solar eclipse last month, and then he took that to be an omen. And then what he did was he took a number, because the Bible does have a lot of significant numbers, and he chose the number 33, and tonight is the 33 days after the solar eclipse. And then he said, but also, there's a constellation in the air that's going to happen today, and that has got to symbolize this woman in Revelation 12. And so this is going to be the time that sets in motion the end times. So I hate to break it to you, but the good news is you're in the right place because I'm going to be able to talk to you about Jesus and his kingdom that, according to David Mead, is going to throw this world away into the you-know-what, the wastebasket, hell in a handbasket. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but there's a lot of fear in certain circles of our country. And the fear is because passages like we just read in Daniel chapter 2, which closely resemble other passages like in Daniel chapter 7 that talks about these four scary great beasts that also resembles a passage in Daniel chapter 8 that talks about this ram and this goat that are boasting like politicians tend to do and that we've seen in the headlines. Yes, amen. And they begin to look at these passages and then they begin to look at Revelation and what they begin to do is they have some kind of unhealthy obsession with treating the Bible as a code to be cracked rather than a record of the God who is setting up his kingdom for the renewal of all things. And so there's some problems with this kind of fear-mongering when we approach the Bible as a code to be cracked, like the visions that we can see in Daniel chapter 2. You see, first of all, you miss the entire point. Tonight we're dropping down in the middle of the story, of a story we initiated last week in Daniel chapter 2, in which the king has this dream that really troubles him. And it wigs him out so much, he does what any king would have done in the ancient Near East, and he gathers his wise men. They're named here and at the beginning of chapter 2 as these diviners. The diviners were the people who were supposed to look and head into the future. Then he gets the astrologers who did what this guy does and looks at the stars and tries to map out the omens and the symbols and the signs. So Nebuchadnezzar gathers these and others and he says, I've had this dream that has been wigging me out. And he says, tell me what the dream is. Verse 
And they said, no, 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 <laughs> you tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. And he says, no, 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 you tell me the dream. And they say what any of us would say and say, dude, we have no idea what you dreamed, dog. This ain't Inception. <laughs> it's in there. You missed it last week. They said this cannot be done. So then what happens is Daniel, who has not escaped or withdrawn, no, he's not just survived, he's thrived. He's now counted among this court of wise men. He catches his word when Ariok, the executioner, is saying, look, the king said if they can't tell him the dream, he's going to just kill them all. So sorry, dude, you're about to get killed. And then Daniel says, no, 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 give me a minute. And then with wisdom intact, he spoke to the king, and he said, give us some time. And Daniel did everything he could and then he let God do what he couldn't, right? Daniel reached out to God when we reached the end of our wisdom and we reached the end of our code cracking and he laid himself with his friends at the feet of the Lord and said, we are at our wit's end, we can't do it. Would you reveal to us this mystery? And God did. And so we enter back into this story where we see that God not only gave him an interpretation, but he gave him the actual content of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar was afraid of what he saw. He was afraid at the code being cracked. He was more interested in the mystery than a relationship with the revealer of mysteries. And so back to our friend David Mead in the last night that will mark the end of the world. There's some problems with this. If you've read anything that Jesus said, he says things like, no one can know the day or the hour. Also, you can read his blog and he'll tell you, well, no, people like me are going to twist the scriptures and say this. And I said, well, no, no, Jesus said it and he meant what he said. And it's not for us to know what it means. We're, we're not supposed to know the day or the hour. We're supposed to live as kingdom citizens today as if Jesus will return at any time. But no one's supposed to know it. Because the Bible is not a code to be cracked. These dreams, even if they speak of the future, are not to be obsessed over. They're supposed to provide a confidence that comes as living within this kingdom. Are you with me? So this is what's going on. Jesus also says, you're going to be deceived by people that say, this is this, I'm the Christ. And he's going to say, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. And you're going to hear about earthquakes. And there is another one this morning in Mexico. And you're going to be tempted to become a slave of fear. But Daniel shows us what Jesus tries to tell us. And that is, no, no, no. Live as a confident citizen of the unshakable kingdom of God. Because we also hear rumors of wars. And we see in this dream, a kingdom come and a kingdom go. And a kingdom come and a kingdom go. And then Nebuchadnezzar hears about the rock. The rock that was a kingdom that was not made from human hands. And then you can hear where Jesus says elsewhere, hey, guess what, Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And then you hear Peter and others writing New Testament letters and they're looking back at this rock and they're saying, wait, wait, Jesus is somehow wrapped up in this rock. And Jesus showed us a king that looked unlike any other king and he introduced to us a kingdom unlike any other kingdom and it is active and eternal. And so the message of Daniel and the adventure in missing the point by caring more about who the gold and silver and bronze and iron are, that's, an, that's important, but it's not as important as this. Kingdoms of the world will come and go, but God's kingdom is always active and eternal. 
So that begs the question, will we live today in light of whatever day, will we live as citizens of the kingdom of God in order to make a difference in the kingdom of the world? Because Daniel was right smack dab in this hostile culture, but he gives for us these countercultural examples when it counted. And so if you look at the beginning in verses 24 through 30, right before Daniel is going to run in and tell him, if I was Daniel, I'd be going, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it, don't kill me! Dude, he walks in confidently because he's not a slave to fear. He takes time to praise God for giving him this knowledge. And then he walks in and he doesn't waste his opportunities. He lives as a citizen of God's kingdom in order to make a difference on the king in the kingdom of the world. He will call him later. Did any of you catch this? O king of kings when he talked to Nebuchadnezzar. And the sad thing is he wasn't wrong even though it falls on our ears really awkwardly. No, no, no. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the superpower where Daniel's king got whipped and was a king underneath, along with Israel and all these other kings and kingdoms. He was the king over all these other kingdoms. But what the dream shows is that uh, even as this king will pass and another kingdom will come and then another one after that, no, he's going to give a witness to the king and the kingdom that will never end. And Daniel gives us this countercultural example to say my citizenship of this kingdom will outrank and outflank every other kingdom of the world. And the first thing you see is that he was an example of selflessness. I love that when Daniel comes in, he tells the executioner, don't kill those pagan wise men who are doing all the things that my people weren't allowed to do. Just, just let me make that real for us. There is a Christian reformer that is very prominent in history that wrote a commentary on the book of Daniel, and he was really puzzled and upset that Daniel tried to spare them. Because he said they were doing all of these wicked things. They were divining, which was against God's people. They were looking at sheep guts and doing this. And they were rooted in this culture of fear and state. So why would he want to stick his neck out for them? But here's why. Because you cannot make an influence over these people if you're not engaged in relationship with them. At the end of this series, we see in this story, Daniel will become the chief of these wise men. So God has interpreted this dream and allowed him to do that, and then Daniel does what Jesus will say, and he loves his enemies, and he sticks his neck out for them, and he has an opportunity to influence them. And it was because he was selfless. How many times in our culture and in our workforce is it all about getting a leg up on someone rather than coming alongside someone? This is a countercultural example. He had every reason to let them go and to let them be killed, but he says, no, 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 don't kill them. And then later on at the end of this story, you'll remember, he said, hey, I know that I was kind of the spokesperson, but you got to hook my boy up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar did. He was an example of selflessness in a culture that is so marked by selfishness. But he doesn't waste his opportunities either. He doesn't give another leg up when he could promote himself. What he does is proclaim God. And that's the second example he gives us. He was in an example of mission. 
he was able to speak to Nebuchadnezzar and say, look, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery you've asked about. But, verse 28, do you see it? There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he's shown you what will happen. He used this kingdom opportunity to speak to the so-called king of kings about the king above all kings. And then thirdly, he's this example of this humility that rather than point to himself, he points to God. And is this not a countercultural example when everything we see in our culture is about me, myself, and I? Follow a celebrity's Instagram or Twitter account and you will see the people they love to tweet about most are me, myself, and I. And we can do just as much in our own ways, whether more explicit or less explicit. But I love that Daniel, even within this hostile situation, takes advantage of a kingdom opportunity to speak truth to the most powerful person in the world at that moment. And he does so in a way that reveals this mystery that's the message that as the kingdoms of the world will come and go, this kingdom that I represent will always be and it will never be destroyed. For Daniel, everything circles back to the king above the king of kings and God's kingdom above all other kingdoms. So the question for us is, how might keeping a focus on God's kingdom change our perspective within the kingdoms of the world? This is what Pastor Kathy illustrated so beautifully in our prayer time. When we look at the news headlines, are we going to be more affected by the bad news or to look the bad news straight in the face and say, I'm not just going to be sad. I'm not just going to be mad. God, would you work and would you open me up to be an answer to my prayer as well? Because Daniel could have just as easily fallen into despair. He could have fallen into complacency and said, there's nothing we can do. Or he could fall into this thing that we see every election cycle, and that is of misplaced hope. But what we see with Daniel is he's reaching out to God, and he's using these opportunities. He doesn't despair, and it makes me think about when we see these devastating things, or we see these political policies, the most way of the world thing we can do is to just go and complain about it on social media. And I've done it. And I complained to my wife because she has to listen to me. That's why we got married. But the most countercultural kingdom thing to do is to say, okay, you know what? Let me take it off of the screen and into the streets. That's why we want to give as many opportunities as we can to be hands and feet rather than just tweets and posts. Because at a certain point, sometimes that heightens the awareness. But if it doesn't make actual change on the ground level, we are no more bringing the kingdom of God than we are just adding to the noise. And it's an outgrowth of this despair that gets mad about all those big things out there without one care or one iota to loving our neighbor right here as ourself. And by the way, as we talk about the king of kings and the powers of powers, there might not be much we can do to address President Trump like Daniel was able to address King Nebuchadnezzar, but our duty as kingdom citizens 
beyond all the other duties of people who were our number one duty before we vote, before we participate, before we protest, is to pray. Paul tells us to pray for leaders. And I believe we need to pray for President Trump to repent. We need to pray for him to repent of the rhetoric that is bringing more violence and fear rather than peace and good news. We need to pray for Kim Jong-un. We need to pray that he repents. We need to pray for peace, but then we need to look in our own streets and say, as we're praying, how are we being peacemakers? Because Jesus said also to pray for the kingdom to come and the will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he also said, blessed are the peacemakers. And as you feed people and clothe people and do real actual things, you contribute to the peace and you make more and more real the kingdom of God that is at hand. But the kingdom comes and his will is done when God's people surrender to this kingdom. But until then, we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray for wisdom and we pray for repentance and we pray for peace. And that is not one political statement at all. That is a kingdom statement because I can show you to Psalm 46 or any myriad of other verses that says war is anti-kingdom of God. The kingdoms of the world fight and bicker and lord over people and they hold back from the poor and God says no, no no cease striving be still know that I'm God and I will be exalted on the earth and when that happens in Psalm 46 the weapons are turned into tools and wars cease so this is kingdom this is not politics so to the degree that we are swept up into that is the degree that we are not being countercultural for the rock that will fill the glory of the earth in God's kingdom. So would we pray and participate where we can and when we can? Daniel uses this opportunity to speak truth to power, but then he tells him about the dream that he has. You'll see that in verses 31 to 35. He talks about the content of the dream. And statues were all over the ancient Near East. We have statues that look more and more like the gods that they've built up. So that's, that's pretty par for the course. What's interesting is, did y'all see how the weird ways they built it in this dream? Now, obviously, it's not a real statue, but it has these different ways of looking at metals and materials. Have y'all heard of the Bronze Age, right? Have you heard of that in history? Cameron Sinclair, who's a history professor, is not here, so, you know, he, you can be real. If you haven't heard of it, that's okay. I couldn't tell you what it is or when it is, but we've heard of the Bronze Age. That because even in the ancient Near East, they talked about historical epochs in these ways of the metals, right? It's kind of tied to technology and these sort of things. So this is the perfect illustration of what I was talking about earlier, of how we can approach the Bible more as a code to be cracked and miss the point in the message. But he gives the content of the dream. And we just don't know which kingdom... Daniel's talking about. We just don't know. We have some good guesses, and they're all about this. No matter if you fall on a conservative side or a liberal side, they all kind of look like this, because all we do know is Daniel pumps Nebuchadnezzar's ego and says, hey, bro, you're the king of gold. You're the head of gold. You're on top. But what we do know is he says, but this is some kind of vision about the things that will be, and he talks about, but guess what, dude? Then it's going to give way to this next kingdom that's a little bit inferior, and that might be 
the media kingdom. Some people might think that that's the Medo-Persian kingdom, but then that's going to give way to the next one, which is this bronze one, then the next one, which is this iron one, which is strong, which some people think was Alexander the Great. Because he came and wrecked shop all over the known world. But then he began to marry and the kingdom began to kind of lose some of its weakness. So that might be this, what he's talking about mixed with clay. Are you still with me? I know it's hot and we're talking about ages. But it's worth mentioning because I want you to see that God is not just the God of heaven. He is active and involved in the kingdoms of this earth. And what's interesting is when Daniel then moves to interpret the dream, he says that God has raised you up, Nebuchadnezzar. So while we're talking about President Trump and I'm making y'all feel super uncomfortable, let's just keep talking about Trump. Is it God's will that Trump is our president? I don't know. It's his will that we pray for him. And it's God is at work within this. He's at work within this government Despite appearances or headlines or maybe because of appearances and headlines. I don't know where you stand. All I know is this. God is at work and God is not surprised. And God's kingdom will be long after the next four years or eight years. And guess what? No matter what happens, God's kingdom is active and eternal. And so the rock that we're introduced to in his dream is this rock that doesn't look like any other kingdom of the world. And what happens is the rock is cut from this mountain, and then it strikes this statue. And what happens to the statue? I'll tell you what happens. It looks like Dracula, when the sun hits him, he doesn't just like crumble. He crumbles and goes, ah, and it turns to dust like chaff in the wind, and it blows away. Why? Because it's not a code to be cracked. It's a message that says, these things are temporal, so calm down. Daniel lived under a much more oppressive king than any king you can find today. But he did so with wisdom and tact and the spirit of God and the confidence in the face of execution after execution after execution. And it should be a reminder to us that you are a citizen of the unshakable kingdom of God, even when all the kingdoms of the world look like this statue and appear to shake. So go vote, if your conscience allows you. Go vote. But don't put your hope in the statues that will crumble. Put your hope in the unshakable kingdom of God. Because this rock, this kingdom, once it strikes this statue and reminds us how temporal and brittle they are, the rock, it doesn't just stop there, does it? What happens in the vision? It expands until it fills the whole earth. Put yourself back to the people hearing the stories of Daniel. It's very similar to the story of Joseph and Pharaoh, which reminds them, oh yeah, Pharaoh, he ain't that bad anymore. And God was still with Joseph, and God was still with our people, and God delivered us from Egypt. And this story reminds me of when Joseph interpreted a dream for Pharaoh, and he was promoted. And wow, God is still at work, even though these kingdoms rise and fall. And then they're going to hear this story, and they say, Rock, mountain? Dude, that sounds like Isaiah chapter 11, and Isaiah 2, and psalm after psalm after psalm. And look with me, just in one passage, when they're hearing this, they're stoked. Look at what Isaiah 11 says. They will neither harm nor destroy. This is talking about even creation. 
Animals will not harm even children. There will be such peace. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then he talks about his king. You ready? He says, In that day the root of Jesse, which everyone understood to be God's anointed king, he will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations. So imagine this one king, unlike every other king, that is not bound by ethnicities or boundaries. There is one king that will stand on this mountain and all the knowledge of the good God will fill fill the earth as the waters cover the sea and he's raised up on a hill and he's stated here where everyone can see and all nations will gather to him and you should immediately be thinking about when Jesus is saying things like when I'm lifted up I'll draw all men to myself and you see whoa this is so much bigger than Israel but he's not forgotten Israel look what Isaiah says they'll rally to him and his resting place will be glorious and in that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from kingdom A, Assyria, from lower Egypt, from upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hemoth, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. There is not one place God will not gather people and say, mine, 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 not belonging to the kingdom of the world. This is my kingdom people, and I don't care where you were born, how much you have in the bank, I don't care what your immigration status is, welcome to my king, the root of Jesse. And in this place, he, this king, will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. And he will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Daniel and his friends were exiles without a home. Jesus will ultimately, not just for the people like Daniel, but for all of us from all over the world, will have a place and a home for them in him. The kingdom of God, the kingdom come, is a global renewal project for all people. And so when you look at the kingdoms of the world and think they can hack it, it looks nothing like this. And our best kings look nothing like the king who kneels down to wash the feet. Because what I heard all election season was about the American middle class and the American middle class and the American middle class who Jesus talked most about and whose scriptures talk most about through the prophets are the least and the poor and he says the kingdom is available to you. I did not hear in the political season, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn for they will be satisfied. They will inherit the earth, these meek. No, it's all about being Something that only God can be. And that is a kingdom that is active and eternal. America is not the kingdom of God. Russia is not the kingdom of God. Any of these places are not the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, the church is not even the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Simply put, the kingdom of God is where God reigns. The kingdom of God is where God reigns. So when we say yes to him and we follow him, these are spaces in which we surrender our little kingdoms and our little ways of being and behaving and spending our money. When we enter into his kingdom, we have the opportunity to surrender our ways to his way and God begins to reign. But it's not just inner and in my heart, it is in our streets. When we go to The Rock, before we started the clothes closet, we talked with these people at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we asked this question, what does it look like when God reigns? 
And it's kind of like, whoa, this is like a hard and heavy question. And we said, let me get your brains jogging. It's not as spiritual as you think. Do you think that people will be hurt and abused? Do you think that kids would have enough to eat if God reigns? Do you think that they would have clothes to go to school with dignity? Do you think that they would be loved on and cared for even if their families are in a place where they can't do that? Do you think that we would have as much racism and violence and hatred where God reigns? They said no, and then all of a sudden it begins to roll off the actual realities in which God's kingdom can come in our own spaces and places. The kingdom is where God reigns, and it is a kingdom that is eternal, and one day it will cover the whole earth, and we've got to be thinking about Jesus saying that it starts like this, but it grows like a mustard seed. It spreads like yeast, like he talks about in Matthew 13, and the more and more people that surrender to this reign, the more it looks like peace instead of war, the more it looks like humility instead of pride the more it looks like generosity instead of greed. And so the church where we enter in is we are supposed to be the signpost to the kingdom beyond us, the kingdom that is now and is yet to come. And we're supposed to be a foretaste of what it looks like when we gather and we, when you can't pay your bills, we help you. When you need encouragement and you are desperate, we need to be a people who breathes hope because where God reigns, there is hope. And where God reigns, there is love and not fear. This is where we're swept up into. It's bigger than the church, but it is so much a part of the church. Now, I love, love, love that Daniel, after he interprets this dream, don't miss that the way Nebuchadnezzar responds as the king of kings, right? The pagan, powerful king bows down to a young, exiled Jew. That's kingdom to me. Because the kingdom of God that Jesus came and exploded onto the scene and says, the kingdom is available to all the wrong people and he's turning the world upside down. So Nebuchadnezzar bows down, but he was able to look beyond Daniel and he says these incredible things. He says, surely your God is the God of gods. He says, surely he is the king, the Lord of kings, and revealer of mystery. For you were able to reveal this mystery. If you look back in verse 30, and Daniel comes in and says, Look, I didn't come in here to get a promotion. The reason that I'm going to interpret this dream for you is God wants me to reveal it to you so you know what's going on. Because there is no lost causes in the kingdom of God. Nebuchadnezzar was a polytheist, he was violent, he was full of threats, he was full of war, but he was not a lost cause, and he had for one glimpse insight into who the true king of kings is. And it's an encouragement to me to use these opportunities that God has given to say, Lord, in this space, can I love my neighbor? Can I be generous? Can I serve and bless this enemy? Can I serve and bless and pray for this person who is persecuting me? And can I, for some small moment, be a signpost to your kingdom, even if it's a fleeting one, to not waste these kingdom opportunities? Daniel didn't waste it with Nebuchadnezzar. And so I got to thinking about our work environments because you know what? Daniel gets promoted. He gets his buddies promoted. And he still stands with this kingdom that he knows is transitory and will pass away. 
but he still goes and works for those wise men that he stuck his neck out for and who will in the very next chapter conspire to get him killed. But Daniel still shows up at the office on Monday. And I think about our web of relationships. I think about our web of influence in our little kingdoms. And what would it look like to live as a kingdom citizen in order to make an impact in the kingdoms of the world? And so think about your home, your work, your circle, your family. Because we have little control over our work environments, who we work for or who we work with. But what we do have control over are the choices we make. Daniel chose to go in and speak to the king. And so the questions I have that are on the screen are kind of with this idea of being a kingdom citizen as we draw to a close. Dallas Willard says this, to live in the kingdom is to choose to do what Jesus would do if he were in your shoes. To live in the kingdom is to choose to do what Jesus would do if he were in your shoes. So think about these questions. Will we as citizens of God's kingdom choose to treat people with dignity, respect, and kindness? Unlike Nebuchadnezzar. Will we choose to use our words to encourage, equip, and build up? Like Daniel. Will we choose to love and serve God by loving and serving others. This is countercultural. Daniel is a countercultural example. Because for some reason I was stuck on this workplace environment, I want to close with this quote from the famous missionary, wife of missionary Jim Elliott, who is famously martyred. She wrote this about her job. This job has been given to me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I may make to my God. Therefore, it is to be done gladly if it is done for him. Here, not somewhere else, I may learn God's way. In this job, not some other. God looks for faithfulness. Daniel went to work for a kingdom of the world that will pass away and was dictated and marked by fear. But he lived as a kingdom citizen, confident of God's activity and work, even in a hostile and dark place. We go from this place in just a moment, from taking communion into our bodies. We go out into streets that see sexual uh, explicit uh, models and we see violence and we see hatred. We see all these things that are anti-God's kingdom. Which is why we gather here to take into our bodies the reality that Christ is with us and we are members of the unshakable kingdom of God. And as we go into the kingdoms of the world, we have the opportunity to be a blessing where there is fear, we may sow hope. Where there is hatred, we may sow love. And would we stand as citizens of the kingdom of God in order to make a difference in the kingdom of the world? Let us pray. Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity to gather in this country. We are grateful that we are able to meet in a building, however warm it is. We have a building. And that, Father, reminds us that there are so many of our brothers and sisters the world over 
that will not gather tomorrow because they are incapable because of the rubble or the waters or in Puerto Rico, they have no microphones to plug in. There's no power. So Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our kingdom citizens that our passport that says kingdom of God would we mean more to us than our American passports. But that, Lord, you would give us opportunities as citizens of this country with dual citizenships to do what we can as we pray and become an answer even to our prayers through your power and wisdom and grace. So, Lord, we bless the children in Mexico. Lord, we ask that you would restore the families who lost loved ones when that school went. And Lord, we just pray your peace and we trust you that you make it up to the kids of this world. And we surrender ourselves to you to be hands and feet where and when we can. Would we be a signpost, an outpost in Garland and the world over? of the good and beautiful kingdom that will never end because our king is in its midst. We pray all this in his name. Amen. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go in peace.